Welcome to the Film Look podcast, where we try to achieve it one shot at a time. I'm one half of the Film Look, Richard Scott. The other half of the Film Look, Robert Carr, can't be with us this week, but thankfully I am joined by the third official, unofficial third member. He's the third one <laughs> of the Film Look, Christian Foreman. Hello, how you doing? Now, usually we do a what the fact, a fact off between you and Rob. Yeah. I don't have a fact. Oh, why I not? didn't prepare, but I hope you do. Do you have a fact just in your head? You could you could join in. Um, did you know that a group of frogs is called an army? Do you have and, a film fact? You have and you a, a group in. of uh, crows is called a murder. All oh, right, I did not know that. Do you know what the plural of mongoose is? Ooh, mongoose? No, people do think that mongooses. It's mongooses. Yeah, not a fact mm. yet. Anyway, film fact. Do you know the film 2001? A Space Odyssey. Yeah, we all know that one. We all know and love that one. Yeah, yeah. It comes up on the podcast every week. Do you know how much <laughs> uh, the the total final length of the film that they shot, like the, the footage that they had, was 200 times longer than the film itself? So you thought it was long. They cut almost 200% of what they had. Is that right? No. Not 200%. 200 times of what they had. They cut 200 times of what they had. That's a lot. So how long was the film? Five days? What's five days times 200? <laughs> you had that ready, didn't you? No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, that's my fact, really. I just, I want to get all of the 2001 facts out. Don't know why. All right, yeah. Well, what do you, do you like my fact about frogs? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a film fact. That's all right. Um, well, why don't you just tell us what's, what we're going to be doing this week? So coming up on this week's podcast, we have news and views where special edition, Richard is going to be doing it. Um, and you're going to be talking about, well, I've got my notes here, production design, finger frames, and the difference between text, subtext, and context. That's true. Very text heavy. And then we're doing, you haven't seen that, where we'll be talking about the Green Mile and dissecting its filmmaking properties. And then I've got a little quiz after that, a little trivia round. All right. Um, which I'll, I'll tell you about after we're done. You haven't seen that? Okay. I think I look forward to. And if you want to send us any questions or comments or topic suggestions, you can find us at the Film Look on Twitter or via email, which is the filmlook at gmail.com or on facebook.com forward slash the Let's get started with news and views. Na, na, na. News and views. Na, na, na. All right, I don't have any news. Oh, you're just as bad as Rob. News is boring. <laughs> views are where it's at. Right, the first thing I've got is a video from someone. Let me just double check who it's from. It's from Studio Binder, and it's a production design episode, and it's the difference between how you communicate mood, character, and theme. So it's all just about production design and art direction, and it isn't just there to fill the frame with stuff. It's more about picking things which resemble the scene and emphasise the story beats. So... One example of this, they've got it in the video, but I don't remember what film it is. But basically, they say about the, uh, there's a character at the start that feels empty in his life. Yep. And the art direction and the production design around that is a bathroom which doesn't really have anything in it. So he's empty in his soul. So the location is quite what's empty. That, what's that called again? I don't know. Let me have a look. It's got that guy in from that thing. No, what's the technique called you're talking about? Ah, oh, production design or art direction. Art direction. Usually the, the you've got like three heads of a film. You've got you've so got like, the director. No, I know the I know the rule, but what's that technique that they use? Is that like an ex um so in that example the room is an extension of his personality, right? Or his feelings or his mood or something. Right? So it's personifying what he's feeling internally. Yeah. 
So there must be a name for that. I think Pathetic liter- fallacy. Yeah. So like, in li- I learned that term when I did my literature degree, and the example they always give. You did a literature degree, <laughs> did you? Literature. Did you actually? Yeah, I did. I don't even remember no, what type of degree you did. We went to the same university. <laughs> we did. Not we didn't know each other though. Not at the same time. Um, that was the first time I heard that that word. We did go at the same time. We just didn't do the same course. But yeah, pathetic, pathetic fallacy. Pathetic fallacy. The that- attribution of human feelings and responses to inanimate things or animals, especially in art and literature. Yeah. So the example they always give was when it's raining outside, something bad's going to go down. Yeah, or like so, yeah. um, someone's sad for some reason. So yeah. Anyway, carry on with what so you. So art direction is kind of like you've got props, you've got wardrobe, you've got uh, the set design, and all that's about like. Um, texture, colour, um, things like that. And you can you can use that to emphasise the story beats rather than just making it feel like real life. You can go one step further and make it feel like film life. And I guess one major example is most of Wes Anderson's films are really left of centre. Everything is very vibrant and it feels like a, like a dollhouse. And yeah, that's his it, art direction. It's consistent within that world. Yeah. So yeah, like they've 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 set up these rules and they've stuck to them. Yeah, and as long as they abide by those rules, it makes sense within the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is definitely something that's going to help you get towards the film look. It's something which, at first, as a filmmaker, you might not think, um, to concentrate all that much on because you you're kind of like thinking about the camera and the shots and the way the camera moves, and then you start thinking about lighting and stuff. But if if you don't have anything at which to to point the camera at other than obviously the people inside the setting or any lights for things to bounce off then it's not going to look all that great and the second one i've got here is called learn your lenses or finger frames let me just get this the title here uh by a guy called crimson engine I don't know whether that's his name. That's if it name. is, that that's is a, a cool name. name. But he talks about finger frames, you know, this whole, the stereotypical, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, so, widescreen, like, oh, yeah, I'm a director. Like, this is what it looks like. So if this is a podcast, we need to ex- explain what you're doing there. So my hands so are in hands- front of me. And with my, you sort make, of like my pistols of my index finger and thumbs. You make two L's. Two L's. Join them together them. into an oblong. Um, so I'm making like a frame with my finger. If You, you know, finger frames. Yeah kind of like the stereotypical what a director does if you were going to draw a cartoon well finger frames or director's hands or hand lenses aren't just there to make you feel like you know what you're doing and this guy what's he called again crimson Crimson, engine that's possibly the coolest name ever um talks about how you can actually use finger frames to predict the focal length of a lens and what he does is he sets up a camera and he puts different lenses on and he has a look at the field of view of each lens and he measures with his arms, like, uh, like thumbs out. So you're kind of like making an L with your left and a reverse L, a J, with your right. And you have to sort of try and look to see where the end of the frames would be. And what he's done is he's, he's predicted that for all the prime lenses that he uses. So when he, when he goes to a location and he hasn't quite got his camera out of his bag or anything yet, he can actually predict where he's going to see and how he's going to look at everything. All right. And... It's a good way for a director to jump into a scene, have a look at what he's looking at or she's looking at, uh, and not have to sort of just grab the tools just yet. And then you can make, you know, predictions on everything. With with some decent accuracy. With some pretty good accuracy, yeah. Um, I always thought of it like you, you bring your finger frames up um, and then you close one eye and then you bring it closer to your, 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. like zooming in and out. But he says that doesn't work as well as actually just like you know if your arms are like right in front of you, that would be a thirty-five mil or wide angle is like putting them on a you know like ten, out like a wide. And, and then if if your thumbs are together or like an inch apart, then you you've got like an eighty mil. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Try um, try it out. I suppose everyone's arms are different lengths and Yeah, so you gotta you gotta you work, to work it out it, with, your own, your own with your own with your own limbs, your own appendages. Yeah. The last one I've got here is from Film Courage. And Film Courage is one of my favourite uh YouTube channels for filmmaking, especially writing. They interview a lot of writers. Um and this one it's with a writer called Adam Skelter. And he's he's really good because he puts everything into like really simple terms. And in this episode, he talks about the difference between text, subtext, and context. And basically, it's ways of adding layers to your dialogue or lack of dialogue. And what he's saying is, so context is obviously the worldview. It's the situation, the location. It's the bigger picture. Um, Context is the plate in which you serve everything. Now, subtext is guessing what a character wants by the behaviours they express. Now we've got we've got uh, chocolate biscuits on the desk, and you were like hovering your hands over, so that that the, obviously the the text there would read, Christian hovers his hand over, uh, the biscuits. Yeah. But the subtext behind that is, well, are you hungry? Do you want to taste some biscuits? Are you bored of what I'm saying? So that's yeah. the subtext. It's what someone might read it's kind of like you're making a prediction about what someone would feel and by making something quite obvious by making the text obvious you can make subtext the the actual answer without outright saying it so what's the so it's it's like that thing where apparently 90 percent of our communication is done non-verbally yeah like body language yeah so that you could probably call that subtext and then the 10 percent the text but people always, people, say. people always say that, yeah, you give away more with what you're doing with your body, but I suppose it's the same in a film, right? And I suppose good writing is giving more away in what isn't happening or isn't shown yeah. than what's in the in the, in the the dialogue. And, the, you know, they talk about how with it being a visual medium, you need to sort of reduce your dialogue and try, yeah. to, try to say things without saying so it. What's the context part of my hovering my hand over the biscuits? The context is what we're in a pod- podcast doing this. Okay. So you could change the context. Well, he has a really good example. I'm going to take I a don't remember then. what it is. You take a biscuit. <laughs> um, so if you change the context of something, then the subtext and the text will read something else. He talks about um, the line, go ahead, take a drink. And the subtext behind that is the is sort of the way that someone would perceive the way that you say it. So the text is, go ahead, take a drink. But if I say, go ahead, take a drink, you would just be like, oh, don't worry about it, just have some. As if I was saying... This is mine, but I'm happy to lend it to you. Yeah. But if I went, go ahead, take a drink. Well, that's, yeah, that's tone and, and um, like I say, context. And and that's the what, subtext what your, that you would read. What your intention is, you know, eventually. Yeah. I so subtext, guessing what a character wants by the behaviours they express. If someone sort of grabs a glass of water, the subtext is at the thirsty. Uh, or maybe it's because they've been asked a question and need time to answer, so they quickly drink some water. So if we if if we change the um, the context of you drinking that water, yeah. the context would be an interview, and I would I would ask you a question, and instead of you answering the question, you would grab your tea and go, oh yeah, two seconds, 
then the subtext behind that is that possibly you're trying to stall for time because you, you don't quite know the answer and you need to try and think of it. So that's the difference between context, subtext and text. He goes into a lot more detail, yeah, better very, detail. Very interesting. But what's cool about it is this is something that I was trying to wrap my head around a while ago. I was reading a book and um, it was it was a, what I wanted to do was make a writing constraint which prevented you from ever um, writing down the words yes, no, I agree, I disagree. So in order to make someone agree with someone else, they could just go, cool, I'm in. Or that, actually, you know what, let's say you've got a bank heist and he's got to convince his mates to, to rob this bank. And one of them goes, I'm out, I'm leaving. And he goes, mm -hmm. that's boring. We know he's out and he's leaving by the fact that he's not happy with what he said and literally leaves the scene. So we can change that from a text line to a subtext line. So he could, instead of saying, I'm out, I'm leaving, he goes, you're all just dumbasses and then leaves. And that reads, you're all dumbasses. But the subtext is, this is a ridiculous situation and I'm exiting right now. Well, in that particular example as well, it's an opportunity to show you a bit more of the character um, in the same amount of time. Because you're showing, like you said, two things. You're showing yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's like, what, that's you're what... utilising the screen time to develop more of their traits. And I think that's what Marvel does very well as well um, in those moments where they, they get their characters to... They, they don't say cliched things that you would expect superheroes to say. They, they, yeah. they, they're humanised but whilst doing superhero things, which I think is the success of the, the brand, I think. Yeah. If that makes sense. The last thing that this guy talks about, what's he called again? Adam Skelter. He says, so the three are like a like a creme brulee. I thought this was interesting. I've talked about this one way more than everything else. I think it's just because I like writing. Um, context is your plate. That's the location. Uh -huh. Subtext is the cream and the text is the burnt sugar on top. Mm -hmm. So at first you can only see the burnt sugar and the context of which it is. But you wanna you wanna break into that sugar and get a bit of cream with it. And in writing we or in film, we want the subtext because we want the creamy goodness as well as the lovely sweet sugar. You just like this because you like metaphors, don't you? Yeah. I yeah. love a good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um alright, well that is the end of Well, well oh I've just... No, sorry, I've pulled I've pulled my headphones out. Can you plug them back in? Yeah. I can hear myself. Can you hear yourself? No, I'm deaf. Right, oh, I heard. Oh, I'm back. Hello? Oh, I'm back. Sorry. Good. What were you saying? I was going to say, whilst we're deep into the uh, ocean of news and views, I wanted to ask you um, what you thought of the new trailers that came out during San Diego Comic-Con. What new trailers? Have you seen them? Because they all came out last week. Um, there's like the, the Shazam one. Oh, I saw Shazam. There's the, like, I thought Aqu that was really interesting. Aquaman, Godzilla. The new Harry Potter. Godzilla. Harry Potter. Well, whatever he's called, little little um, beastie lads. Little beastie lad. Curious beasts. Yeah, cu curious beasts. Monsters. Curious monsters with them. Um, where you should look for them. The yeah. Something, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Someone's kicking, kick, kicking themselves because they know the answer right now. <laughs> Fantastic beasts and and where to find where them. To find them. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I watched them all in one sitting, and they're all terrible. I thought. Really. There's just nothing. What did you not like about them? them? Just generic um, rubbish, really. Especially the Aquaman one. I think I watched it and right, that's it. I'm done with DC. I'm not even going to like, um, you know, give them the time of day anymore. Normally I would go and then slate it after. But yeah. I'm like, I'm not even going to go. I've got no intention 
and no want to see this film. The storyline the- of, of Aquaman, at least from the trailer, it's literally exactly the same as yeah. like The Lion King and Aladdin. Yeah. And a lot of these Disney films, it's, oh, you were the chosen one, but you fell off you fell off the, the, the back of the truck, but then 20 years convince, later, you need, to, yeah. you need to come back because you're the, you're the you're true... The rightful king. Rightful king, exactly. Oh, it's just no. Simba. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got Shazam. It was fine. I suppose I it, was the best of the, it was the best of the bad bunch. But it was I've never bit, seen a superhero film it was a bit where he's literally a kid. Yeah. So I thought, you know, it's a little like, bit different. It's quite interesting. From the trailer... Give you know, I admit we only saw three minutes of it, but I like the kid a lot better than the Shazam guy. The, the, yeah, yeah, he seemed. He was in uh, it. He's in the latest it film. I mm. think he was really good in that. Anyway, my point was that I just think the old trailers are rubbish, and we should be <laughs> a bit more um, inspiring with our content that Hollywood makes. Get it together. Well, they're, they're safe, aren't they? Yeah, they have to play. It not safe. anymore. Not anymore. I don't think. No, if I'm not going to see them, I think I'm a good indicator that. Uh, people won't see these films <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of news and views nah, nah, nah. news and views nah, nah, nah. all right what we do now we're moving on to you haven't seen that where um, we're going to be watching the green mile it is so hot in here sorry there we go there's the music i'm sweating <laughs> all right so, The Green Mile is a 1999 American fantasy crime drama film written and directed by Frank uh, Darapond? Darapond. S- something like that, yeah. Like that. And it's adapted from a Stephen King book of the same name, which came out in 1996. Um, I thought this came out a bit early, um, late, earlier than it did for some reason. But anyway, it came yeah, out in 1999. Almost the turn of the century. Yeah. So, the film stars Tom Hanks as uh, Paul Edgecombe. And Michael Clark Duncan as John Coffey. Like the like the drink, but not spelled the same. But not spelled the same. <laughs> <laughs> the film is told in a flashback format, which tells the story of Paul's life as a death row um, corrections officer. <laughs> Did you, you hear that whistle? <laughs> <laughs> is that me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was really funny. Anyway, yeah, correctional person. My, uh, I used to go to church as a kid, and my priest used to always do this. Sh- 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 and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Anyway. So he Paul's life as a death row corrections officer during the U.S. Great Depression and the supernatural events that he witnessed. The film received very positive reviews from critics and was nominated for four Academy Awards, which was Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, um, Best... That'll be Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. And best Sound Mixing and Best Adapted Screenplay. So... So this is IMDb number 31. Yeah, it it's didn't get as much... I think... It got about 8, 8.5 on IMDb, which for these types of films, it's not that high. Um, still relatively high, obviously, but not as high as, it's not well regarded as Shawshank. Stuff, yeah, which films is, like that. Which is funny because it's the same, same writer director. and director, yeah. Um, and it's the same type of film, you know, like, like setting a Is prison. the Shawshank Redemption a Stephen King novel as well? It is, yeah. And so is The Mist, which is another thing that he... Uh, a, adapted and he's directed. Just, he's, he's just a big Stephen King fan. He just loves Stephen King. I think Stephen King said that this was his most faithful adaptation. This is one he enjoyed the most. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read the book, so I can't comment on that. But no, me neither. I've got a, f- and a premature fun fact about the book, though. He was uh, Stephen King was so sick of everyone going to the last page of all his books that he made The Green Mile episodic. 
So he only released parts of it at a time. Oh, really? And then each book had its own micro-climax. That's a funny thing to get sick of. People going to the last page of your book. I know. Just- First world problems, <laughs> that is <isn't> <laughs> Oh, t- people are too eager to read my novels. <laughs> um, have you have you seen this film before this? Years ago. I always say this, but it was um, um, about five years ago. This I is keep- the first time I'd seen this all the way through. Because it's so long. No, just this is the first time that I've actually sat down and watched it. I'd seen parts of it. Uh, Obviously, I know like bits about like uh, the electric chair. Yeah. And I'd seen the scenes with Tom Hanks where he had to run outside to have a wee because of his <laughs> UTI. Strange, strange one. Um, but obviously, I'd never watched the whole thing together. And there's actually some parts in it that was like, whoa, I didn't know this was the, this type of film. Yeah. Um, and th- this above any other film ever. I feel definitely constitutes... What? You haven't seen... You haven't seen The Green Mile. That's like someone who hasn't seen The Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) I would be kicking the person who hasn't seen that. So how have I not seen The Green Mile? It's... I I remember watching it and I remember things... You know what I forgot, which is weird because it's a big part of the story. I forgot the supernatural elements to it. I just remember... Those are the bits that I didn't know anything about. Which is strange, right? Because that's a a huge and weird and unique part of this story. and, And yet I remember everything else. Yeah. Uh, which I'm not sure why. Uh, but yeah, the only thing I do remember about it is from watching it about five years ago, like I said, was crying a lot. It was really sad. <laughs> yeah. And I was I was pre- preparing for it this time. And yeah, it was, it was a bit sad. It was a bit sad at the end. Well, let's go into it then. Um, what do you think of this film just overall? So I've got some thoughts on this. So I thought overall, well done. Two thumbs up. <laughs> you've I got thought, the the k-dog approval right there <laughs> no my money issue with it is some of the supporting characters are a bit two-dimensional um and within the space of a you know a three-hour long film i thought you could have um, brought them out of the shell a bit more and made them a bit more rounded because um, you had the time and space to do that but the main characters um yeah, were fantastic and it's a really effective drama effective prison drama i really like prison dramas i don't know why it's just like another world, isn't it? But yeah, it was, it's you never really get to see that. Yeah, and I thought the performances were terrific and I thought the script um, was really well done. I think the, 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 the narrative and things was, it was a bit sentimental at times, but very powerful and emotional uh, story. Yeah, that's the one thing. There were, there were two things in this film and only two things that, not so much a distaste, but sort of like a little hint of disappointment. And one of them, strangely enough, because it's a massive plot point, are like the bug effects coming out of his mouth. Oh, the bug effects, yeah. They were a bit they were a bit ropey, weren't they? And the fact that that's like the plot device for like transferring like the rage, yeah. going to the next thing of like you almost like zombified. Um, which I get because when you read Stephen King novels, there are these like weird fantasy psychological horror elements to what he writes. And there was nothing wrong with that, but I think that definitely set an age to the film. Just you mean the special effects of that part, not the, the not I, the, I the don't, narrative. Yeah, I think it. so. Because when when he was healing like the mouse, and he just had it in his hand, and he was like blowing on it, yeah. all of that was fine. I was like, oh yeah, I totally get that. But then when he went ah, and like you know, it looked like a scene out of the Mummy. Yeah. It was it's threw us out a bit, but I, I jumped straight back in. The only other thing I disliked about it was. The, uh, the bookends of this film. I was going to ask you about that. So the way it's told, if you haven't seen the film, 
is it's a linear narrative, but it starts with the older version of Tom Hanks. What's he called? Paul something. Um, Paul Edgecombe. 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 Yep. So it starts with Edgecombe as an older gentleman uh, in a like a retirement hall, an old person's yeah. home, yep. and then he gets upset and starts crying, and then he. <clears throat> He takes his friend and tells her the story of um, John Coffey. And then we, as an audience, are taken along with this story. Yeah. And then it catches up. Well, it doesn't catch up to itself. But then at the end of the film, we go back to this old man who reveals more of um, the effects of the story had on his life. So Those it, are it, the only parts of the story that I disliked. You really? Yeah, I quite like them. The first bit, obviously, because he's, like, he's upset and everything. Yeah. And he cries because he sees the film as a top hat. That's the in film. it. Yeah, some some sort sort of dancing film from the thirties. It was um, I've got it written down here. Yeah, it was Top Hat. So um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Roberts. Yeah, so that sort of triggers him to have a bit of PTSD in and a way. And then obviously, like he's like, oh, I need to get out of here. And we understand that he likes to go on long walks. And then obviously, we're not with, we're not with him there or the woman for two hours forty minutes. Yeah. And then we return back. And I don't think there was enough for me to warrant those bookends. I suppose it would have worked. So what extra information are we given in those in those times? Nothing so, nothing at the beginning. We're given a little bit of intrigue well, that there is a there's a piece of music what, and a film what that I sets liked, them off. Did you not like when when they saw that film, when John Coffey was watching that film and he was he was watching that piece of music and then it clicked in your head why older Tom Hanks was so upset it did the but it was, wasn't, wasn't significant wasn't enough. enough it wasn't like a, oh yeah, yeah. hey that's come all the way around yeah, yeah. so the first bit didn't really mean anything because he's saying oh I want to tell you a story but the filmmaker then tells us the story so why do we need it almost I narrated it, I suppose what it does is it's like How I Met Your Mother it's an unreliable narrator isn't it so we're, right. we're being told the story, yeah. not as an objective piece of, not as an objective story, but as told through um, a very subjective uh, memory. And so maybe the, he had a bit more room to uh, embellish, embellish the, story. the story and make it more interesting. But again, probably as an but audience member, the filmmaker really can do that. that. The, the filmmaker can do that. It's, yeah. a, it's a film. So we can, we can embellish the story as much as we want. They did embellish the story by making flies come out of his head. <laughs> Um, and then obviously there was the the end and that was the I suppose the, the final reveal was that Mr is it Mr. Jiggle? Mr. Jingles. Mr. Jingles is still alive and that he is over a hundred years old yeah. and he's seen all his family die and even the woman that he speaks to right at the beginning, we see her funeral. But that wasn't enough of a payoff. I feel like it 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 steps on its own punchline. And it's also a bit Bit of a sadder, sad ending. We already had. It's a bit, a bit melodramatic. More melodramatic. That's what I mean by it's it. A bit it's cheesy. It, almost. It goes into the sentimental a bit too often. Like it, it could veer. A, it could pull back in certain areas. Yeah, it feels almost um, forceful in terms of you're supposed to feel something here. Yeah, where we've we already, get that straight we've already away. Felt we've felt a lot. so much about these characters because we've been with them for three hours. So the, jumping back to the to the old man, it's kind of like well we don't have any empathy or very little empathy because 
we had all the empathy for Tom Hanks when he was actually going through something. And what I was supposed to feel for the old the old man that yeah. everyone keeps dying, but that just feels like a different story and almost. I, I don't know what it adds. I don't know what the takeaway message is because the takeaway message from, you know, the middle bit, the, the chunk of the story was, um, you know, there's this saintly figure that was wrongfully killed by the state, right? Yeah. That's the, it's just that's the message. story of Jesus, isn't yeah. it? Um, it? John Coffey, JC. Um, Jesus Christ. Oh my God, my God. My God. <laughs> Is this in the mirror? It might be like... <laughs> so that's the takeaway from that. And then at the end, you're given like, Tom Hanks has been somehow punished for his actions where it was never really... That shouldn't have been the takeaway message because then we're just feeling a bit of crap. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I think there's loads of there's loads of conversations online about this. I was looking it up about how old this man is going to get to, based on how old Mr. Jingles got and the life expectancy of okay. mice and things like right. that. And it ranges from like two hundred to like quadrillion or something. Because oh, <laughs> 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 I don't think it's ever answered in the book either. It's just right. left open ended. So right. this, the, the, he could still well, he would be still alive right now, but he could be alive for hundreds of years just being miserable. Yeah. Telling the story of JC. Those are the only the only parts, literally the only parts, other than we might go into it a bit more. Um, I like the that performance. I, I like the performance of the old man, though. Yeah, definitely. Good. Yeah. Um, I was actually quite surprised by eyes. how actory he was. Yeah. Is that is that ageist? Like a, a man this Prob- old? Probably. Maybe it's because <laughs> whenever they do like an old man version of like uh, a famous like really good actor, they always just cast someone who looks like them yeah, yeah. regardless of whether they can act or not well but this guy was a they originally uh, pretty good performance you might not this might not be a surprise but they wanted to just make tom hanks up to look really old right um and do whatever they do to make actors look old but they just couldn't get it right and they tried for a while and so that was the original plan but then they're just getting in an old guy to do yeah. it yeah yeah probably a better option yeah especially considering it was 99 yeah it wouldn't have looked great he would have looked like Ivan Ooze. <laughs> right, let's get into some of the good stuff then. So um, the first thing on the list we've got is character development, story and writing. What did you think of this, of the plot of this film, uh, of the nuances of the characters? You spoke a little bit about some of the B characters. Yeah, so the characters, I mean, uh, Tom Hanks and, and JC, so I'm just going to call them that from, from now on. Okay. It's easier. They're very, very well-rounded characters. Tom Hanks, is, he's got this internal struggle. He's He's got a number of personas. He's got like the boss man boss where um, uh, he's very professional at work. And yeah. and then you see you see him at home with his wife and you get to see a bit more of that personality. And he's, he makes, he's really the only character that we go home with. We, yeah, we go home with him. He makes wrong decisions at times. He makes very wrong decisions when he put um, that Percy guy up to kill that, to pull the trigger on one of the inmates. Oh, that yeah. was a clearly wrong decision going yeah. in. We, as an audience, we knew something was going to happen. And oh, yeah, yeah. Paul still... Rudd. Not Paul Rudd. He looks like him though, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that was great. So he had a clear arc. He had his ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and as did John Coffey. And we've got a bit more of him. It's just the supporting characters. They're so you've just... got you've got big dude. Yeah. You've got young dude. You've got old dude. Yeah. But what they were, they were just like good characters or bad characters. There's no grey area with any of them. Yeah. So you've, all the prison wardens were weirdly all really nice people, which is normally in prison films. You've got a... Usually there are a yeah. couple of cretins. Yeah. But they're all just saints. They're all they're just, just really, good guys. They're and really there was one nice, villain. genuine, good people. 
and then you've got the one bad guy and that's it so you've got good against bad whereas yeah. I would have liked to see a bit more grey area there in the characters there was a little bit of grey area from uh, David Morse who plays Brutal in terms of like he's quite aggressive but at the end of the day everything he was doing was heroic yeah whether it was like neutral heroic um, he was still being the good guy and it's the same with the prisoners weirdly we like all the prisoners except um, Rockwell what's it called Sam Rockwell's um, prisoner one the uh, Will, Wild Bill Wild Bill yeah um, you've got the good inmates you've got the bad ones Wild yeah. Bill he's, he's bad nothing can get past him yep. and then you've got all the good ones um, I suppose the grey area in, in those is that they're in on death row for a reason right we never really get to hear what the bad things they did except yep. for, for Bill Um so yeah, I just didn't like, as, in terms of character development, like I said, I think you had a bit of time there to play with them. Do you think that's something that has um, matured with age in terms of storytelling on film in 2018? Probably, yeah, probably. We are used to more complex characters and because we get complex characters on TV, we can put it on film and get the same sort of information in two hours. So like you watch Breaking Bad and you've got this massive complex hundred hour story with Walter White. We can take that story and then if someone translates that story on screen in two hours, we can understand it. Yeah. But if that hadn't happened, we might not be able to understand it in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um. But it's not to say it was bad. I'm just saying that's something I noticed going through it. Yeah, maybe it something you would change if you were going to do it possibly, yourself. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Maybe if you don't have time, just take away a few of the characters or like give them less screen time or something. Or just They all know. played the part, which was which was nice. Yeah. Maybe with B characters, maybe we spent too much time with them. Possibly. And maybe we got because to know of that, them. we got to know them just, we're yeah. on the edge between yeah, yeah. them just being the background guy and being someone you want to know more about. Because they all seem like, quite interesting characters that I, would, I wanted to know more yeah, about. Yeah, and they're didn't. all very individual as well. Um, I think there was a lot, obviously we had the main plot, but there was a lot of, this is a very subplot heavy film. There's a lot of subplots in here. Well, like the, the mouse. Yeah, the mouse, the prisoners, the... The, the, the woman with the tumour. The woman with the tumour, and I suppose it all, you know, it links in, but um, if you wanted to save some time, you could have removed some of the subplots there. Um, I like that about the film. You did? Yeah, I think... There were like these little tasters of like different things going on and it blended a couple of genres together, which I really liked at first with it being, um, you know, people on death row, you're expecting these like horror elements. And obviously we get these horror elements yeah, when they, creep they up. don't wet the sponge. But then you also get like these like, um, like fun, like family sort of. I think that's the magic of Tom Hanks, isn't it? Yeah. Like it, it was, it was like wonderful to see like the mouse and it's like oh what's going on here and it's um and he's like pulling the stuff out and oh they, they got it again it's very like tom and jerry yeah um and then they just pull the rug out from under you yeah and kill the mouse i mean i think that was probably a really nice point to put in it because you're expecting it to go one way and then bang he just stands on it and, and that's like instant he is complete utter villain now yeah and i wasn't expecting that I was expecting it to happen a lot earlier, and when you know when, he, uh, when Wild Bill really scares—is it Percy? Percy, yeah. Percy, and he uh, wets himself, and then they all empathise with the character and they say, "Whatever, whatever happens on the Green Mile stays on the Green Mile," and they come together. I was thinking, "All right, they've patted him on the back. He's 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 going to start to be a good guy," yeah. and then he stands on the mouse, and it's like, "Oh, right, okay, I understand this. He's actually a a real antagonist." 
And I thought that was really nice in terms of writing. Actually, speaking about writing, what I really liked in the first, it must be the first 15 minutes, is how much empathy we have for JC, John Coffey, um, straight away. You know, we, well, well, we first, <clears throat> um, we have some technical issues here. Christian is currently dying. I shouldn't. Oh. <laughs> is, that, is that the biscuits? <laughs> You're right. You got two left. I'll I'll explain what I was going to say then before you put in. <laughs> yeah, you are. You um, talk. We obviously reveal the character through that he's this huge behemoth, and he's like really scary. And he's like this crazy man, and <clears throat> all we get is that he's this he's this really nice. Um, you know, he's got some arrested development to him, but he's quite a mature character in a way. They played the balance between someone who is very childlike, but also is quite responsible. So he does what he's told. He <clears throat> he goes in the cell, but then he wants to shake his hand, and then straight away he's like. Are, are you gonna are you leaving the lights on and it, it, at Did first you, it wasn't are you leaving the lights on because I'm scared in the dark Ooh, empathise for me sympathise for me it was are you leaving the lights on and then you had that little bit of dialogue between uh, John Coffey and Tom Hanks Paul Edgecombe <laughs> um, and that was nice because that was action and reaction and we understand more from Tom Hanks character straight away with how um he sympathetic yeah, he yeah. was with um, Michael Clark Duncan's character. Yeah, I mean that's what I was going to say before I had a, a bit of a, a biscuit attack. <laughs> Alright, um, should we go on a direction slash execution then? Yeah, one thing I want to say about the directing whilst we're on about JC is that he wasn't actually that tall. He may surprise you. He wasn't a giant. You know what, I think I noticed this. I noticed it a few times. One part where he comes out of the cell it, he must be walking on a catwalk because at no point do they ever like walk over each other's lines even a yeah. little bit. Like, um, uh, who's the other really tall guy? David Morse plays Brutus. He sort of walks on like a, what would be like an out outward train track yeah. around a corner. So clearly he's he's up on a catwalk. Well, I noticed it a few times because it's not, again, probably um, another thing I would change. It's not consistent. Is it not? If you really look, sometimes he's as tall as the actual prison cell and he has to duck. Well, he always has to duck. But then in another angle, he's like, oh, he's just he's just a quite, a, quite a tall guy. Yeah. Um, so, as you know, as an actor, he's six foot, six feet, five inches. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not a small guy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, on the set of The Green Mile, he's quite an average person. So the other guard was like six foot uh, four. Um, James Cromwell, I think, is the... The uh, the boss man, the warden. Yeah, he's like six six. Yeah, so, I noticed this in yeah. when uh, he brought JC John Coffey um, to his wife. Yeah, he obviously ducked under the the door, but so did James Cromwell. Yeah, uh, the warden. And uh, yeah, it's obvious. So it was just, exactly the same. It was size. just all um, blocking tactics. Yeah, right. So they just made made him walk ahead yeah. of everyone. Or I don't. Another know. fun fact: they deliberately made his bed shorter. Oh, and all the other beds, See, it's nice. so his feet stick over the edge, things like that. If you if bit probably, of smoke and mirrors, bit of smoke and mirrors, bit like um, like Lord of the Rings, isn't it? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Bit of forced perspective. forced perspective. Well, actually, nothing like that. Well, no, when there's little hobbits about, knocking about. <laughs> well, it's a different technique, <laughs> almost completely. <laughs> Just let me have it. But right? yeah, okay, yeah. 
I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of direction, this feels very much like a performance-driven film. Yeah. Obviously, there are some like real clear visuals that they've placed into this. Um, you know, one thing we were talking about pathetic fallacy. It, uh, it rains when something really bad's happening, when something's really somber. And then, like, the aftermath of uh, the guy with the dry sponge. But then also, uh, like, it starts to thunder and lightning. There's a storm happening when yeah, someone's yeah. about to be executed. And that felt, in terms of in terms of direction, it felt very deliberate that he wanted it to be this, like, story, like, fable. You know, you were saying, like, it's the character telling the story. Yeah. And if he was going to embellish the story, but, like, and then it started to thunder and lightning just as he was walking down the green mile. And that's like, that's just pure lines from Stephen King. Like that's the way he describes everything. It's everything is a metaphor or a simile to something else. What was quite interesting is that most of the film, I don't know the percentage here, but I would say quite a high percentage took place inside the green mile in, in those four walls, but it feels like an open film. It feels like a, a, a lot, like a bigger, a bigger set than it is. And I don't know how they did that probably the use of flashbacks and flash forwards and things yeah. like that. Um, and then obviously they used some of the outdoor stuff and they the went in like the the uh, the offices. Yeah. They built the whole set. Oh, they did, did they? that deliberately. They didn't sort of build just a couple of walls. They built the whole thing so they can go full 360. Um, the, the actors can walk all around. And um, some of the walls they were able to pull back uh, and like dis- disassemble like, like that. Imagine like hydraulics or something. It might not be. It might just be on like wheels or something. But I thought that would be cool. And then they, they could like get extra angles and stuff in. Oh, nice. Um, the other point of direction would just be the art direction of this film. Um, another fun fact is that the back in nineteen, I think it was nineteen thirty-five. This film it was, was mid thirties. Um, they wouldn't have wore those like navy blue. Is it navy no, blue suits? I, I've got that fact as well. Yeah. Um, but that obviously like it's a clear uh, silhouette of those characters, and it's just a massive distinction between those. And then you've got the death row in May too. They all do they wear the black and white stripes? No. But then obviously no. the standard inmates do when the when we see them picking. Yeah. Uh, with the pickaxes and stuff. Yeah, the art direction of this film, I just thought it didn't look realistic in a sense, but it looked stylistic. Hey, hey there there's go. a gun. <laughs> and like we say, it, it was they, they ran with the rules and they never broke them. And I, th- I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Hey, you got another, th- another fun fact about the date, um, quite a, a bit more substantial error than, than uh, the uniform thing is that Louisiana, where this took place, didn't actually use the electric chair to sentence people to capital punishment until uh, right. until the 40s. I bet the state wasn't happy about this film then when it came out. Which one? Oh, Louisiana. the state of Louisiana. Um, I mean, it did eventually, but oh, not... Right. Oh, right, yeah. they hadn't employed don't it worry, yet. Don't, don't worry about it. They got <laughs> right. the electric chair. It wasn't that the, the way, the, you can't be doing this. It was that they hadn't evolved to the electric chair yet. Great. Yeah. All right, well, good for Louisiana to do something so horrible. <laughs> um, have you got anything on cinematography? I don't have anything written down, but we're going to talk about it. I like, it definitely had a certain gradient to it in terms of colour. It was quite a dark film. Dark, yeah. Got dark colours. It was of very gr- green and lots brown. Lots of greens, obviously. Muted. Um, Earthy tones. Yeah. 
And then the, what was great about the earthy tones was the fact that the um the blue, like the the, the it seemed like the the um the sunlight was a little bit blue. Yeah. Which when they had like a highlight on them, it looked really nice. But also it emphasized the blue of like the electric chair and the lightning and the thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like the blue and the brown. Obviously they're contrasting complementary colors. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. And then obviously you got like the dark navy blue of the of the suits as well. Yeah. And that is like um like very, very contrasty with the background of uh, the green and the brown and like the red bricks and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of use of color, um, light in this. Obviously, light plays a big part, given it's always smashing everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's always light bulbs in the background of people. Yeah. And I think that's just to emphasize that when everything, something's going wrong, there's flickers and the shadows. Yeah. And, um, so I think there's probably a, a, a very much a deliberate effort to There's a lot of lighting of, effects in yeah. this, wasn't there? One of my favorite shots, which you've probably seen over and over again and, and um, trailers for this and stuff like that, is the... is. Although you the don't like it, shot. no. Although you don't like it, when the the flies or whatever they are comes out of his mouth, right? The, that the camera just like centers him, and it's from a height, and he just bolts up, and yeah. all of the the flies come out of him. It's just such a such a really satisfying shot. Yeah. Um, and he's just perfectly lit. I don't know. It's a nice shot. It does. They do it twice though. The first time. Yeah. And then the second time. So it's like the the way that the the frame it and the so way they move the camera the first time normally. They're not centered, the characters. Yep. Um, I might be wrong, but I didn't notice it. They're usually off center, so they can. And then, yeah, they just like the camera must be just looking down on them. Um, when the fly stuff happens, I don't know. What do you think of the fly stuff? What do you think that is? Because they never talk about it. I don't know. It's obviously a big symbol and metaphor, and I suppose a. It feels like that's the badness. That's the badness coming out of them. Yeah. Or something. So he absorbs like the cancer and it and it it expels like that yeah that's, like, that's the, the calories he's burning and obviously when he's choking he can't get it out so the badness stays in him yeah and that's when he does something bad actually did no, it he did didn't the answer do... whether he actually killed those girls or not no he didn't of course he didn't he didn't no they answered that did they when he give tom hanks the flashback it was bill it was wild bill that did it but they, we never see Wild Bill kill them. No, it's implied. Yeah. See, right, I'll tell you my fan theory here. Okay. That Wild Bill... No, he tried to save them. He tried to save the girls because Wild Bill was the one that raped and, and harmed them. And then John Coffey must have been around or worked on the site and he tried to save the girls, but it was too late. He kept saying it was too late. I tried, but it was too late. And oh, that's because nice. they must have... Um, been dead for too long. Dead for too long because it's implied when he when he saves the mouse, Mister Jingles, he goes, "Give it to me. It might be might, might have, still time. have time. Yeah, still have time." But right. he obviously didn't have time um, with the girls. So yeah, he says it's it's a really powerful scene when he makes Tom Hanks touch him and he's um, what did he, what was the line? He killed them with their own love, which is how all the world is. It's pretty dark, isn't it? Right. You don't remember that? That's why he kills him because then when he's got the when he comes back from the old woman's house, not the old woman, the the wife's house, and yeah. he um, sucks all the cancer out of her. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I thought back, that's with and the then he, and then he and then he breeds it into Percy or whatever yeah. or whatever happens. He transfers it over, and Percy kills Big Will. Um, 
I see. I, I thought that he, something happened where he couldn't cough out the bugs because it was, too, and that made him angry like the Hulk. No, no, no. And then, no, because then he, he said he he he's a very um, overly um, not empathetic. Probably overly empathetic. He feels everything. He feels the goodness and the badness in the world, but just yeah. to an ex- exponential extent. So uh, he probably couldn't handle. Well, he was very overwhelming the amount of negativity he had in him he had to get it out of him and he put it into another bad person which was Percy and then Percy then killed well, Sam, Bill. Sam Rockwell right and then he said at the end I punished the bad men boss or whatever he says yeah yeah. no I get all that yeah mm, you see I don't quite like but, it as much anymore because that's when when he was going out I can't remember where he was going and then or he was going to the house and then Sam Rockwell touched his arm and you see him look so distressed, but as an audience, we don't know why he looks so distressed. Yeah, and I think that's when he found out how bad of a person he was because he, right. he, 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 all that knowledge went imparted into him. Right. Um. Again, it's all implied. It's quite heavily implied, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I just wanted him. You know that little context thing you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were they were utilizing that technique. <laughs> all right, special slash visual effects. I think the special effects in this were really good. If it's if that counts as special effects, the light bulbs burst in, um, the the fire, when the guy gets executed, that's that's gruesome. It's very gruesome. That's I think they pretty brought, sick. I think they brought in um, a specialist horror director to to direct that scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why it feels so powerful. It feels so powerful. It feels it does feel incongruous to the rest of the thing like the, the film because yeah. of how just unsettling it is it's yeah. really it lingers for a long time and we just wanted to end but it just doesn't Aye. Um, so it was a great that was a great scene though it's canny minging like yeah that's exactly what it is <laughs> um, um, visual well, effects well, I mean they weren't terrible they weren't there wasn't a lot of them um, that was the only thing that stuck out but I don't know whether it was the effects themselves or the way that the they shown the badness leaving the character they could have done it some other way I wouldn't I would, have wanted it to be like dark smoke or anything it'd be but interesting to see how Stephen King described it in his book yeah he must have described it in a very similar way in order for them to do that but yeah I don't know how else maybe, to do it maybe the um, the adapted screenplay took his words too literally maybe yeah. they should have thought about it in a just a more interesting visual sense, maybe. But if you think about it nowadays, they'd go over the top. It'll I don't know what they'd do, but it would it wouldn't look as good. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Aye. Yeah. One thing but they I've can got, do better fly effects now, can't they? One thing I've got for visual effects and CGI is um Mr. Jingles. So they actually had more than one Mr. Jingles. I don't want to break this to you. What? Yeah. Um Are you serious? There was between fifteen and thirty trained mice we used to portray the clever um, award mascot of Mr. Jingles. All right. In addition to animatronics and CGI effects. Hey. Thankfully, hope, obviously, when uh, Percy stepped on him, that was uh, visual a puppet. Fi- visual effects. Oh, like where? Special effects. Yeah, special effects. It wasn't. Oh. Actually, he didn't actually stand on one of them. Thank the, the Lord. Um, and the mics, the mice were coaxed to their marks with small dishes of a little food. I bet that was a nice set. Jim. That is a good fact. <laughs> good fact. Editing. There's one thing in terms of editing, and I just feel like it's the pace of the film. Right. It goes from something quite slow 
and then builds up and then goes down again. You've got peaks and troughs throughout. It's it's a, obviously a long film. I don't feel like it's drawn out all that no. much. Uh, all of this conversation I've just had you there about editing sounds like I'm being negative about it because of the way <laughs> that I'm talking. But no, I actually, it's a positive thing. I really like the editing in this. It got slated at the time for it being so long. People thought it could have been two hours or something. Yeah. Uh, it's probably why a lot of people haven't seen it or more people haven't seen it because of the length of it. Yeah. But I've never, I never thought, it, when I was watching it, it never felt long. You never looked at your watch? No. Which is good. It's good with any film, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's, in terms of editing, there wasn't anything that stuck out that I thought was, was particularly bad. There, like you say, there was some B stories in there, which if they really wanted to cut the fat, they could have. Yeah. But I feel like they all played a good part in the film. But is that because we just want to get to like executions and stuff? We want to get to the to get to the meaty, cooked meaty. I don't know. If you, if you think about bits. it, it was over an hour until we saw John Coffey do some magic stuff. That's true. He was barely yeah. in it at the beginning. No, and then once he did, then we got more of him. Yeah. Because we were introduced to him, and then he was just in the background, and he was going to the toilet all the time or something. I can't remember what they did in the first hour, but. Uh, I think they just introduced a lot of the characters. I, like they, it was a lot of Percy storylines, wasn't it? And then yeah. the, other, the other inmates. And then it got to JC. Yeah. yeah. Which you could have just jumped straight to JC, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you kind of expect him to be like the main character, like from the beginning all the way through. But he doesn't really carry the story. He's just another one of the people there. Obviously, could you, could you have got rid of some of the execution scenes? I don't think so. Because there was three of them, wasn't there? Yeah. What did the first one give us? Just give us like a, a taste of what they do, didn't it? I've just, oh, that's sick, that. Yeah. Yeah. And the it second was just, one went this wrong. Is, this is work. This is the real, this is the world Yeah. before the inciting incident. I suppose if they just went straight in with the the one that went, went wrong, it wouldn't have had the same impact, would it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen that scene. Um, when I was doing research for the Asylum Groove. Yeah. Uh, I thought that that was one of the first, I thought that was the first execution scene in the film and I thought that was the inciting incident. But it's not. It's like halfway through. Mm. I didn't expect that. But that's obviously because I haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, but Paul Rudd looks really weird in it. <laughs> it's really strange. There's a good accent though. Yeah. Um, sound design. What do you think? It was minging. The, the frying effects. Yeah. The screaming, that and that scene's probably disgusting to say, but that scene, it's probably my favourite scene, other than the one where they were doing the um, the trial execution, and he was like, "Oh, I'm getting cooked," <laughs> and they're all laughing, and then he was like, "Don't laugh." <laughs> do you remember it at school or in church when you're not supposed to laugh and you do? I don't want you laughing when we're actually cooking someone when someone's gonna ride the lightning. A good contrast between each other, and that that showed some camaraderie between all the people. Yeah, and that introduced who we were, right? And um, because the, it was such a disgusting job that there had to be a band of brothers, like we're all in this together. That's, I like I like the their rule of what happens on the mile stays on the mile. Yeah, they they took that to the very end. They yeah. got a very one for all mentality. Yeah, which they never broke. The only person that did was Percy, but he was he was an outsider, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, Paul Rudd <laughs> soundtrack 
I'm going to play some of the soundtrack if you want to talk about it for a second so I can load it up. Are you playing the, the happy one or are you going to get the more melancholy I'll, one? I'll, I'll try and find the main the, yeah. the main theme. Um, I can't really remember it. Um, I remember feeling <laughs> something. I can't remember what it goes like, though. I can't tell you the motif or anything. Um, no, that's have, one thing I didn't like about the... Uh, oh, got, we've got a Vimeo ad here. I'll just <laughs> mute that. One so, thing I thought was negative about that was the fact that... Oh, you think you could have got a more... We didn't have that motif. We didn't have something which was... Like obvious, obviously we've got this is Wild Bill. I played this because this That's is when he um, comes more... in and he uh, he suddenly wakes up and he starts beating everyone. Oh up. yeah, because yeah, yeah. he pretends that he's uh, doped up, as they yeah. call it, and then he, he goes and starts attacking. <laughs> yeah. You see, it's weird because that was that was like a happy-go-lucky moment. It was. It could have been like a really dramatic, like almost horror sort of scene. Like, oh my god, he's he's this crazed lunatic. We've got to get him because he's gonna he's gonna kill um, Jenkins or whatever his name was. <laughs> But it doesn't, it's like quite like a, like a, oh, I'm going to get here, let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah, I never felt like we're in real danger here. Yeah, um, yeah. We and always knew I it was going to come back around. I felt almost on the side of Wild mm. Bill, yeah. like, because he's having fun and he's, he's he joking was a, he on was with a lovable, them. He was a lovable bad guy. It was funny when he, um, he was, a, he was throughout most of it until obviously we see the, the flashback yeah. of the dream. Um, it was, it was quite funny when he put that chocolate in his mouth. <laughs> And it splashed his cheeks, and it went all over the guard. That was funny. And then they like dragged him. Cut to jump cut to the dragging him into the the cell. That yeah. was quite fun. <laughs> it it's weird because usually in films, if they're mixed uh, genres like that, I would not like it. Yeah. But this, because obviously it's such a long film, it feels like they can flow from one genre to the next, and yeah. they need yeah, to have yeah. a little bit of comic relief because of the amount of contrast between the disgusting. Like the no sponge. There was a few moments of comic relief. This is called the Green Mile. So this is like the main theme. Right, let's have a listen. And that was the Green Mile. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it just it just sounds like any sort of string. Yeah. Quartet. If we played this, what's the game we play? Ooh, that film sounds good. Yeah. You wouldn't get this. I don't think so. You wouldn't get this even no. now when I'm telling you it's the Green Mile. Like you can't. You can't sing the Green Mile theme tune. But I, to be honest, I quite... I like and I don't like soundtracks that are just, just, blend just in. in the background. Sometimes yeah. it works well because I'm not... Surely if you... You know, the rule of filmmaking, if you don't notice it, it works well, right? If you notice it for the wrong reasons, then it's you're doing something wrong. If I played this one, who... Which... This is a Desperado's ad. It's going to... It's going to skip. Which character is this linked to? I'll skip through it a little bit. So from what you heard earlier, with the the slide guitar hmm. on the wine bottle neck thing, is that up? Is it Percy? No, it's not. It's it's called Morphine and Cola. So I'm guessing it's Wild Bill when they drug him and uh, they dope okay. him with the coke. This but is a good game, that. Yeah, which. You like that? Which character? Which character? You can do that in trivia if you yeah, like. Yeah, well. Um, this has a similar feel. I, I did think that, but I can't remember him outside of the prison cell, and I can't remember how he didn't have a lot of screen time when he's just wandering about. So, and this seems quite light for his quite dark character. Well, the other Wild Bill ones, like yeehaw! Yeah, <laughs> do you have any others? No. Oh, okay. That's that's as much as we're gonna go with. 
Um, how would you do it differently? <laughs> Sorry, it's just because as soon as you said it, I've already closed the window down. <laughs> how would you do it differently? I would be interested to see how the film worked without the bookends. You've made me think now. I don't think it needs it. Yeah. I think it's a powerful enough story to do without. It is a completely different story, like you say. Yeah, and it, it really pulls you out of the film. Yeah. Because suddenly, like him, everyone we knew is dead. Like the old man, right? Everyone that we were introduced to and spent three hours of our life with have gone. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if that's it's a good thing to leave a film on. Yeah, we should we should end the film where we have a resolution. Yeah. That doesn't have resolution. No. We're left we're left hanging just like he is. I I might do a bit of research on that. I'm sure they considered it. They it's have weird. To, they have to like, just it. cut the first twenty minutes and the last twenty minutes. Yeah. Like I've already watched everything I've wanted to see in the characters because I've it, stayed with them. It doesn't add anything to know that Mr. Jingles is 100 years old. Yeah, exactly. It also makes, if anything, makes it a bit, like, comical. Like, you've got yeah. a 100-year-old mouse. Yeah, like, it's a bit, it's a bit too fantasy. Yeah. Because, obviously, with with the the main bulk of the film, like like you say, it could have been embellished storytelling. But it's it's... With someone telling that story, it then becomes real life. And that's when my suspension of disbelief is is shattered. Because someone can tell a story and it can be lies, it can be fantasy. But it was a story and then pulled into the real world. But in the real world, yeah. there is this mouse. Maybe there's another level where someone's dreaming. Oh my God. <laughs> like Inception yeah. or The Matrix. Um Alright, we've probably talked about this a bit, but if you had to sort of square it up in just a couple of words, how would you do it differently? Denise, I would take Denise out the start that? and the end. Um, That's what I would do. I don't. I would probably probably spend more time with the sporting characters, or spend less time with them, depending on which way we wanted to go. Do you reckon this could be a series? No. Each character has their own episode. All right. Yeah. Spend time with the prison guards rather than the, the prisoners. Yeah. It could almost be a monster of the week sort the of TV though. show. The two... the two Like, what are they going to get up to this time <laughs> on the Green Mile? <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see who we got in this week? You know what? Someone needs to recut that as a Mr. comedy well, trailer. Mr. Jingle comes in, everyone's like, Way! <laughs> um, Has it aged... I mean, it's 1999. It feels like that. So yeah. it's 20... Feels like a 90, 19 years old. Feels like a 90s Tom Hanks film, which is a good thing. I'm not, I'm not slating it. Feels like a, a very similar tone and mood to, like, Forrest Gump. I think they were going for that type of audience. That, yeah. That, um, very, not safe, but very just technically... It's just Tom every, Hanks in his peak, was everything, really? Everything is just done well. Everything yeah. is very competent in this, and... It's just a solid piece of film. They haven't, obviously, like, they haven't went, right, we need to shoot this in, like, a really strange yeah, way. No, They've it's just, went, just... Let's just do some, some nice Hollywood crisp yep. filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Let's get it done. Let's get, I, let's get Stephen King's words on a screenplay yep. and then get that on and the I, screen. And I appreciate that. That's why you didn't feel nervous that it was three hours because I'm like, I'm in good hands here. It's going to be yeah, fine. Yeah, no, that's a good point to make. Yeah, yeah, you're in good hands. That's what it feels like from the very start. Even the stuff... And sometimes with three-hour films, you're like, oh, God, what are they going to do? They're going to take it down here and yeah. then they're going to do this risky thing. Because with, like, with three hours, there are, there are a lot of moments where they can mess it up. Yeah. 
Or is this, it felt like, like yeah, you're in That's safe That's probably hands. why I wasn't looking at my watch, because I'm like, it's fine. They know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, have you got any more trivia fun facts slash fan theories? Um, I think I've got them all now. Do you? Um, do you reckon this is inside the Matrix? Yes. I think there's another level to it. (laughs) And everyone's watching the old man at the end on a computer screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get it. And then after after he dies, they they pull out the thing from the back of his head and it's like young Tom Tom Hanks He's bald and has no eyebrows. (laughs) <laughs> and pull it out the back of his head and it's the kid from Big and he wakes up and he's like oh I just had this, this class <laughs> yeah. dream and he's like big clothes <laughs> yeah. and you've got yeah. <laughs> giant Tom Hanks clothes and then uh, you got Mr Jingles there yeah yeah wicked um, well we actually have some thoughts on the film from one of our listeners this oh, is the nice. first time ever we've actually had this, this obviously really we cool. get questions and comments uh, just in general about filmmaking and films and stuff but Greg Kane um I'm just going to read it out. He says, hello again. My wife and I just watched The Green Mile last night. It is an exceptionally well-made film, but somehow it still doesn't engage me like it obviously does others. Um, He references how it's ranked 31 on IMDb. That said, I had forgotten about the... I don't know how to pronounce this word. He says, denouement? D-E-N-O-U. There. Denoun- denouncement. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> it just means like um, um, if you denounce someone, how do you how do, you do uh, like when like, nations have to denounce each other? It's like no, you're doing bad things. Yeah, like it wrongfully, wrongfully. Why is my? Sorry, I've got headphones issues at the moment. Sorry, I can still hear you. Um, it just means judging someone or like just. All yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, I'll continue then. He says um. That said, I had forgotten about the denouncement, which I quite liked, um, and answered the same math problem that nagged me through the film. Uh, looking forward to your discussion on the podcast. Well, we just yeah, had that. Nice. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Greg. Actually, thanks for sending that over. And if anyone else wants to send their thoughts on uh, any of the films we've done on literally any of the episodes, if you've got your thoughts on 2001, maybe... Um, you liked it. I don't know why you would. It's a terrible film. Um, <laughs> or maybe you think that mine and Rob's opinion on 2001 is ridiculous and every filmmaker should like 2001 regardless. Um, please comment. Uh, it's a good point. I felt safer in this three-hour film than that three-hour film. Like when you're watching 2001. And is that a good thing? I don't know. Is that... I don't... It, don't you It's surely, a little bit babysitted. Probably, yeah. It's like babysitted. It's not challenging you as a as a as an audience member. Yeah. Although the the is, grammar like, is very well written. Yeah, I don't know. I think we want both things, right? I don't think that one way is better than the other. Yeah. Um, some, I think pushing, some films pushing maybe boun- should. I think pushing boundaries and trying new things and doing weird, dodgy camera techniques is a good thing. But I also think films like this. You just need to. You need it. Get it on yeah. screen. Good, do it. Good Saturday night. Get the basics done. Pizza film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we actually haven't thought of what we're going to watch next week oh, we've done it but again. with the power of podcast <laughs> editing uh next week we're going to watch american, american psycho. psycho oh yeah okay let's watch that that'll be good and <laughs> um, that's currently on netflix at least the uk netflix if it's on the uk netflix it's probably on the the us and other nations as well um so we're going to watch that next week and if you guys watch it before us like maybe maybe you're listening to this in the kitchen right now while you're making your dinner how about you finish eating 
and go stick Netflix on, uh, grab the wife of the husband and watch American Psycho and then give us your thoughts. Uh, the film look at gmail.com. It's a lovely, it's a family friendly film. You can watch it with all the kids. You can't. I wouldn't do that. Do not do that. But yeah, send us your thoughts. All right, so that's the end of... You haven't, haven't seen, seen that? that? We have now. <laughs> um, right, have you got some sort of message? I've got something? some sort of... I've got a game I want to play. I've actually got another another comment here on the Q&A bit, but we haven't got to that yet. We've just Oh, this is, this is the space in between... You haven't seen that in the, Q and, in the Q&A section. Yeah, yeah. Where we can just do whatever we want. Yeah. Rich, we can just, like, mess about. Right, I mean, so I hope not. <laughs> I've got a game. While you do that, I'm going to... I'm one of these biscuits. <laughs> Um, can you open these Skittles? It's part of the game. Uh-huh. We've got Skittles on the desk. Sure. This is good content. <laughs> can I have a Skittle? Right. So, Rob's not here. Do you remember Rob? Who? He's got ginger oh, hair. Rob. Rob from the film look. Yeah, him. Yeah, I remember Rob. Yeah, he's normally here, but he's not. What's he doing? Babysitting. He's usually sat in here on my left. But he's not. He's down south at the minute. Okay. Yeah. So, I thought we, we could do a Mr. and Mr. quiz. Because you two are like a married couple, I yeah. thought <laughs> yeah, I okay. um, took it upon myself to ask Rob some questions, uh, and I'm about so to, I'm just about, to get them right about himself. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you those questions now. Okay. And um, <laughs> I want to see if you get them right. I've always wanted to do this to my life. <laughs> <laughs> I've asked them about eight questions. So quick. this is like a how well do I know Rob? Yeah. Maybe this is what we could do anytime one of us. That's true. Anytime one of the call call co-hosts <laughs> leaves we do like a how well do you know the person who's not here yeah that's true maybe we could call this absent-minded friends very good or the film what <laughs> <laughs> yeah well call either of them <laughs> <laughs> all right so quick questions and what he's done right he has sent me them as recording so you say the answer and then I'll, i'm gonna put my phone i've got my phone on my I hand now multimedia people <laughs> i got the phone in my hand right what now a filmmaker i'm gonna put it to to the the microphone and see if it works okay? okay right question number one what is rob's favorite film opening favorite film opening i was gonna say if you get it right you get a skittle but you've just been munching on them anyway sorry I'll, I'll eat this one because I've been touching it. So it's not his favourite film, <laughs> it's his favorite but it's his favourite film opening. Opening, yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. Um, do you not know at all? I'm going to have a skittle by you think. Sorry, you but, probably know the answer to this, do you? Yeah, I've listened to the recordings. Would you, have, could, would you have known? Mm, yes. No, I don't think I would have known, but now that I know it, it's, it's obvious. Okay. Um, is it film opening? Is it the first scene in The Dark Knight? No. 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 Um, shall I play it? Yeah. This is exciting, this. I'm going to turn my phone up. Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, 1-0 to Rob. Who wins this? I don't think there's any winners, is there? Rob. Rob, Rob wins. Um, favorite, well done, Rob. Favourite film score slash soundtrack? What's his favourite? Can I go with... Can I go with two? Go on then, yeah. Um, you've either got In Time, which is Inception. All right, yeah, it's a good one. Or American Beauty. I think you've got it right. Here we go. My favourite film, Sash. Oh, I bet you messed up that one. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the second one. Um, my favourite score is probably The Lord of the Rings uh, soundtrack. Slash score. Well done, Rob. 2 nil to you. Man. Uh, third question. How does he take his tea? 
and one shug. I take my tea with milk and one sugar, or as we call it, a one shug. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Get in! Do I get bonus points for that? Yeah, I'll give you bonus points. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have two skills for that. <laughs> Alright, what is Rob's favourite uh, biscuit? Uh, chocolate hobnob. Let's give it a play, I think it's this one, isn't it? I take my tea with milk. Oh, that's the tea one. Favourite biscuit is a chocolate hobnob. Yes, get in! <laughs> and we actually got chocolate hobnobs today in your honour. Wasn't, but it's just a coincidence. We're good. Uh, we definitely need to do that. Is there any more? Yeah, there's three oh, more. Okay, yeah. <laughs> do you like this game? Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I like this question. If the studio went on fire and you only had to save one item in the, in the studio, what would that item be? And it's not you. If he could only save one item. Yeah, so the studio is on fire right now. He only had time to grab one thing and get out. Um, what would he grab? Oh, man. Um, I don't know, right? Rob's quite a sentimental person, so it would either be, I think it would be the pictures of his, that like he's got a picture of his sister on his desk, and he's also of him and his sister when they're really little, and a picture of his grander when right. they're really little. I think he would get them, but if it's the photographer coming out, he would say he would grab his camera. Which one? Just his camera. He's only got one. I a Sony one. Sony one. Do you want to hear what he said? Yeah. I should say me computer because it has all of the film look stuff on it, but probably me camera and the 35mm lens because I really like it. And at least I can still shoot things. So you overestimated him. He doesn't care about his sister's photograph. <laughs> Let that burn. But um, I think you got it right, camera. Yeah. He did say three things there. Bit cheating. Well, there's the 35mm is usually on his camera, so... Okay. There you go, you got it right. It wouldn't just be the body. What's the score now? You're winning, aren't you? Am I? I think yeah. so. Yeah, I'm winning. Um, okay, I've got three more. Quick one. Um, what is his favourite camera? Well, on the subject, what's his, his favourite camera? camera ever? Yep. Um, I don't know. It's one of those film cameras that he has. Or maybe the Polaroid? No, it's, it's one of those film cameras that he's got. Okay. I don't know what it is. Favourite camera is probably the one I own, the Sony A7S. I haven't really used too many. Um, yeah, Sony A7S. Oh, never mind. You got that wrong. Um. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know which one's which now. I'll ask them both at the same time in case I get the, the wrong recording. Okay. okay. So uh, the last two questions I asked him was most influential director. Do you want to answer that? Hmm. Influential is different from his favourite director, but I think he would put two the same. David Fincher? I think I've got actually this one. I would have to say Christopher Nolan. Oh, that's what I was going to go <laughs> with as well. <laughs> All right, this is the last question of this this game of what we're calling it. It's who's who's who? Are the absent-minded. Absent-minded. Out of 10, what would Rob rate 2001? <laughs> Oh and man. This is for the whole bag of skittles. I don't know whether you would be honest no. and say like a three, or you would just go zero. <laughs> zero, it's crap. No, you would say that. I would say zero. You can go on with zero. This is for the bag of skittles, remember, which I've got in my hand. I'm going to say one. If you're going to get it wrong, I'm, I'm keeping the difference. I'm keep, one. I'm keeping these skittles. One out of ten. <laughs> All right, this is what he said. I would rate 2001. Oh. Oh. 
Yeah. What happened there? Doesn't want to space Odyssey. Five out of ten. Ah, you went with the honest one, yeah. Never mind. Uh, that's it for Mr. Five out of ten, that's like a one star. No, it's not. It is. Five out of ten's a one star. Do your maths again. No, but it is really, because anything no, it's, less it's than five out of ten is... It's two and a half. No, it, anything less than five out of ten is just still a one star. Really? Yeah, I think so. We rate films differently. I don't think the star rating and the out of 10 rating are as linear as each other. Okay. I think... Interesting. If it's a one out of 10... What do you think a thumbs up? I think a thumbs up is a, is a seven and a half. What do you think of these star ratings out of four? I mean, you just... You can't die like... <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's the point in that? That's just bad. Anyway, I got... That was good. We should definitely do that. So what are we going to call this? Ab- Absent minded. Absent minded, yeah. Oh man, I'm I'm gonna be absent on one of these, and you're gonna send us some questions. Yeah, uh, uh, thanks for doing that, Rob. I know you were babysitting last night or something, and you sent them over. But thanks. Can I? I'm gonna do some coke. I was like, yeah, that was wicked. And <laughs> um, we actually we have a rating on iTunes from Mr. Adam Rickman, not Alan Rickman, who um, we, we made a joke he's about been this on the a while podcast ago. before, right? He has, yeah, yeah. Um, he says. I love this podcast. Robert, Rich and Christian are fun to listen to. Great structure to it, but very loose and conversational. Great balance of fun and structure. Talks about that for a while. It's just... just thank- he just goes on and on about how amazing we are. It's amazing. Five stars as well. Thank you very, <laughs> very much, Adam. We actually... We didn't realise that you were listening to the podcast, but we do know you as, like, one of the regular Film Look viewer listener people. Like, when you comment on YouTube all the time, you sort of get, like, a Film Look regulars. Yeah, yeah. And Adam is one of them. Um, so thank you for posting that thank you very very much if anyone else wants to wear be as cool as Adam <laughs> you can go on iTunes and give us a rating on there uh, but be honest don't like don't just put five stars cause yeah you... don't just butter our bread for the sake of it yeah. but one thing I do want to pick up is that my name is spelled with a, with a K you spelled it with a CH yeah that's why we call Christian K-Dog yeah not, uh, not like the religion it's just fine I'm used to it now uh, actually I've got one more as well from um, Luca Vasile um, he says, hello guys, just finished listening to your podcast where you go into your film Backstage and Blade Runner 2049. Oh, that was a good episode. A while I like that now, one. Yeah. Um, I found the part where you mentioned watching it in 3D and how you think it is meant to be watched in 3D. I said that, yeah. Um, I think this could make for an interesting discussion on a future podcast episode where you could talk about the film Hugo. Now, I think we were going to watch Hugo at some point. Is that... Um Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. I've I've seen that film. So he says, aka a love letter to film, aka the only Scorsese film for children. It's about about the first film ever made, right? Or something like that. I don't know. I've never seen it. I I haven't seen it in a while. I didn't watch it in 3D, but carry on. He says, uh, Scorsese does an amazing job with using the the fairly new introduced 3D technology. He says, the frames in the film are filmed with floating particles, giving everything this fantasy look and feel. So is it a a live action film? Yeah. But it it must have some like, um, like 3D... Uh, like visual effects it's apply like a, to it to make it like it's like a tin man type you know tin man. Adventures of tin man tin 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 <laughs> tin man that's tin man that's the wizard of Oz isn't it the wizard of Oz yeah. <laughs> tin tin um, it would be great to hear when 3D works and why not every movie has to be 3D um, he says anyway great podcast episode really love Blade Runner 2049 as well as Blade backstage Runner. thank you very much for um, going back and listening to some of the older episodes it's good to hear that we can actually hold up after so many years of doing this podcast. I remember that because that was the week that we released Backstage. Was it really? Yeah, because we had a big on that podcast. We did it at my house. Oh, so we did. Yeah, and yeah. We, we discussed Blade Runner and then we had a good chat about your the new film as well. Yeah. 
Um, he says, keep up the great episodes. P.S. I voted for the Asylum Groove oh, yeah. in my road reel. So the Asylum Groove is in my road reel 2018 short film competition. There will be a link in the show notes below. You just have to click on that. It'll open up the window and then you just press the vote button. You don't have to put in any details or anything. But if you liked the Asylum Groove, please go vote for us because there's actually like an audience favourite and basically anyone who's popular is going to win that whether the film's good or not. But So we're kind of just utilising the uh, the film look army. I don't want to call them that, but I oh, think that's don't, cool. Don't name your audience. Why? I just don't like it. The film the, lookers. The film look. The, the, the film look viewers. The filmmakers. The looksters. The looksters. The looksters. <laughs> I one. like that. All right, you named it then. I didn't know it. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions you want to ask, shoot us a tweet on Twitter where you can find us at the film look, thefilmlook at gmail.com. Or people have been sending things over on facebook.com forward slash thefilmlook, like sending a message. So you can do that as well. Basically, anything forward slash thefilmlook, you can find us, send us something, we'll see it, and then we'll read it out on the podcast. Nice. Shall I how, do long, the how long have they got to um, vote? Um, well, submissions end next week, but. The prizes don't get announced until September, so I think all of August. Okay. We need to start pushing that. We'll put that at the beginning of the podcast next week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Deal. Um, as always, thanks.